Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. It's a rite of passage. We had to do it in our day. It'll all be over soon. It'll just flow when you're in there. FM 104's Leaving Cert Survival Guide with the Institute of Education. With only the info that you want to hear to help you ace your Leaving Cert. Welcome to episode 4 of the Leaving Cert Survival Guide. I'm Crossy from the Strawberry Alarm Clock. I'm Tara Murray from Total Access. We've teamed up with the Institute of Education in Dublin and some of Ireland's best health and wellness professionals to give you a crash course in all the useful information you need to make the Leaving Cert exams that bit easier. Every Monday and Wednesday, we'll be speaking to some of Ireland's best teachers who'll be giving us some of their vital tips and tricks that will help you with your exams this June. In our last episode, we chatted history predictions with the Institute's Susan Cashel and we're joined by Irish international runner Brian Gregan to talk about balancing all aspects of your lifestyle in the run-up to your exams. Today, we'll be looking at Matt's Paper 1, both higher and ordinary level with Louise Boylan and Jean Kelly from the Institute of Education. The pair have over 30 years of teaching experience between them and are considered two of the country's best maths teachers. We were also visited once more by Dr. Coleman Nocter, who is here to speak a lot of sense about how best to manage your expectations in the run-up to the exams. Coleman was able to give such practical advice in the interview, so make sure to check out what he has to say later on the podcast. We're going to kick things off with Matt's Paper 1 higher level, but if you are studying ordinary level, you can skip forward 26 minutes to hear our conversation with Gene Kelly about the ordinary level exam. Dublin's hit music station, FM 104. We are now joined in studio by Louise Boyle of the Institute of Education. Louise has almost 20 years of experience in teaching and has literally written the book on second level maths in Ireland, having co-authored 15 books to date, including the best-selling Less Stress, More Success series of revision guides. So Louise, what advice have you got for students that are going to be tackling this paper? Okay, so the maths paper one is on the afternoon of the first Friday of the first week of the exams. So coming up to that, students will have done two English papers. They may have done a home ec paper, an engineering paper, and geography is on the morning of maths paper one. So there's going to be a big run in to the maths paper one. So you don't really have a lot of time to do last minute cramming. So the most important thing is to be prepared well in advance. So in the days before the exam, it's important to spend time going over each topic and revise the key points and practice questions. But what's really important is to 
to not leave a whole load of stuff until very, very close to the exam because you just won't have time to do that. Also be aware that when you're preparing for maths paper one, that sometimes paper two material can crop up on paper one. So, for example, in 2015, 2017, trigonometry was on paper one and students weren't expecting it. They weren't expecting trigonometry to, to come up until paper two, which is on the Monday. And that caused a little bit of upset for a lot of students. So just be prepared that topics can drift. Something like area and volume can also come up on paper one and paper two. And likewise, a paper one topic could arise up on paper two as well. And then in the night before the exam, make sure you've got your equipment ready, you've got your alarm set, you've got your maths tables, you've got a good calculator, not one of those ones you have to bang on your leg to get going. A proper good calculator that you're not going to be stuck in the exam. So what can you tell us a little bit about the structure of the exam? Before you go into the exam, you should be very familiar with the structure of the exam because it's the same layout nearly every year, right? You have absolutely no choice on this exam. You must answer every single question. The exam is divided into two sections which are worth equal marks. So it's a 300 mark exam. So the first 150 marks is a section called Section A and that covers concepts and skills. And this is testing you know, your basic skills, can you solve equations, things like that. There are six what we call short questions, although they're not that short, but six questions which are worth 25 marks each, and that's the total of 150. Section two then is what's called context and applications, and this is where they try to apply your maths to a real world situation. So these questions tend to be longer. There's no fixed structure for this section, only that in total it'll be worth 150 marks. So it could be two questions worth 75 each, or three questions worth 50 each, or three questions worth 40, 60 and 50 or something like that, right? So you just need to be prepared in that section for for what might come. But again, you've no choice, so you just need to to, to plough on with it. For going into the exam, a good advice for any of your exams is to get the exam paper and have a quick skim through it. Don't read it all, but just skim through it so that you can look down and go, okay, there's complex numbers, there's sequences and series, there's financial maths question. Oh, that looks like a yucky question. Okay, I'll come back to that later on and so on. Just so that you have an idea of what lies ahead and as you read through it you might be able to identify things that you can do and then maybe even put a little mark on them so that you'd you'd be happy when you go back if you see something like a yucky question don't panic just relax and go okay I'll get to that when I get to that okay really important in the exam is to watch the clock time is absolutely crucial and this is the one thing that students fall down on all the time it's a 300 mark exam and you've 150 minutes to do it so every two marks should be spent one minute right so a 25 mark question should be done in 12 and a half minutes a 40 minute question should take you 20 minutes but the problem is if you follow that then you've no time left over at the end so try to round down a little bit right so kind of watch the clock 10 minutes give yourself a little bit of a kick and after 12 minutes move on and that's really really important because a lot of the marks if you go through the marking schemes a lot of the marks are for the bits at the start of the questions not the bits towards the end right so say a 10 mark question you might get three marks for getting it going five marks for getting halfway then eight marks for getting three quarters of the way and then the last two marks could be another it could cost you another five minutes. So what's really best to do is when, you, when you've run out of time, just move on. If you've time at the end, come back. But it just means that you'll be wasting time chasing after maybe one or two marks. But that time you've wasted might cost you 20 marks later on in the exam. So you really need to be careful. Watch the clock and move on when you're ready, to, when, when you've run out of time. Is it a thing that, you know, if you're looking at the question and you're kind of going, oh, I think I know it. But to, to make sure that you write down everything. 
Mm. Like you do get marks for writing down for writing down bits. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, it, and that is a hugely important thing because there are no marks for blanks. And the, the what we call partial credit or maybe attempt marks are, are fairly generous on the maths paper. So if you look at a question and let's go the other way, let's say you look at a question, you have absolutely no idea what to do whatsoever. Do something, try something, draw a diagram that represents the information, go to your tables and write down write down the correct formula, anything like that. Because what's really important is if there is a really difficult question on the exam and you found it really difficult, then most students in the country will have found it really difficult. And what will happen is when the examiners are correcting it, they will what we call front load the marks. They'll put the marks near the most of the marks near the start. So if you had a step in the right direction, you might get three out of 10. And that could be for something like drawing down a diagram or writing down a formula. If you leave blanks, no marks. I remember being told when I was in school that like always show your work. Even if you mm. can't get the answer right, the body of the work is what's most important. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, absolutely. And there there are some questions, particularly the Section B questions, where I call them a story, right? The, the, the proper name would probably be a sequential question where one part follows on from the other. But they're, they're a bit of a story. So part one might be find the value for A. And then for part two, you can't do part two unless you found the value for A. And a lot of students will get upset by that. So what I always tell my students is, let's say you can't find the value for A, you've tried and you can't. When you go to part two, write a little sentence at the top saying... Uh, examiner, I couldn't find the value for A. I'm going to say that A is two and just continue the question with that value. Because what the students forget is that whoever's correcting their exam is just a teacher like me. Right. And they have students like them and they want the students to do as well as possible. These exams are not being corrected by a robot. So when they read it, they go, OK, well, that's fair enough. Yeah, you couldn't do part A, but you're going to do your best from now on. You won't get full marks, but you may get like eight out of ten. It's better than nothing out of ten or better than a kick in the head, as I tell them. So you have to be able to kind of think on your feet and improvise. Right. And really, the, the biggest thing in this exam is to not panic. Right. Really not panic because students, if they can't get part A, then they go, oh, my God, I can't do the rest of it now. Right. And that's not necessarily the case. Also, with those long questions where there's a story, what will happen is maybe the story changes after part three. So maybe you needed a value of A to do one and two, but then part four is something totally different. So they really need to persevere, keep going, make sure they read every single part and do their best in every single part and no marks for blanks absolutely have to attempt every single part. The next big thing that we're going to talk about are, are the topics for the Leaving Cert. Uh, what's up first? Mm, what can you tell absolutely us? Absolutely right. So for paper one, now as I said, these, these things are not set in stone. There is a kind of an agreed, almost like a gentleman's agreement of what's on each paper, but stuff can shift. But the massive thing for paper one is algebra. And students groan when you say algebra, but it's just the friend you haven't met yet. Algebra is the core element of the maths course, right? They're using algebra all the time, but they don't realise they're using algebra all the time. Anytime you put numbers into a formula, that's algebra. Anytime you use a formula to find the volume of something or you're given the volume and you're working backwards to find a height or something like that, that's algebra. Algebra is everywhere, right? It's been used constantly, but when we call it algebra, they panic, right? So you need to be very, very careful about that. So algebra is a core element on the maths course for sure. It's the building blocks for all the tasks that are required. So within algebra, they have to do things like simplify, evaluate, factorise expressions. They have to solve equations, work within equalities. So 
these are the what I call the basic skills, right? Solving a quadratic equation is a basic skill for you to have in your course. Solving a simultaneous equation is a basic skill. It will not really be asked as a standalone question. It will be a requirement to, to solve a question somewhere later on, right? So these basic skills will appear multiple times throughout the exam. So you really need to have your algebra locked down. Moving on from there, then a little subsection almost of algebra are indices and logs. And again, logs freak people out, right? But logs are really, well, you just have to get your head around them. They're two topics that students find particularly challenging and primarily because they involve a lot of rules and then they don't know which rule to use when and why and so on like that. The rules are all given in the tables and you really need to spend a lot of time practicing each rule, being familiar with what rule you use, why and when and so on like that. So for indices and logs, again, they wouldn't often come up as a standalone question, but they would be required in order to be able to solve a question. So any question you have where the variable is as a power, so it's like five to the power of X equals something and you want to work out what X is, then you have to have a log. So anytime you come across a question and the thing you're looking for is the power, then straight away your head should go logs, 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 right? That you're going to recognize logs. Where you're going to see those are things like functions questions, sequences and series questions, and particularly financial maths questions. After that, then another topic would be complex numbers. And complex numbers is really an extension of algebra, but it deals with what we call imaginary numbers where you have to square root a negative number. So these are called imaginary numbers. And really, they are an extension of algebra. A lot of the algebra techniques apply here. So you must be able to manipulate complex numbers. You have to be able to add complex numbers, subtract them, multiply them and divide them. Then you have to be able to graph them, convert a complex number into polar form. And then there is one proof involved in this course, and it was asked in 2018, right? Now, that doesn't mean anyone is safe in 2019. It could be asked again, but make sure that you know it. There is very little learning off by heart on your course, but there are some proofs and just make sure that you know them. While we're talking about proofs, then the next thing we have is what's called proof by induction. Now, proof by induction, people think these are proofs they have to learn off, but they're not. Proof by induction is a technique that you need to be able to follow. So it involves three steps, basically. And once you perform those steps, you should be able to prove it. Right. So they are proofs that you can't learn. That's the really important thing. So you can't sit down and learn, but you can learn the technique. And once you've given a proof by induction, you just perform the three steps and cross your fingers and hope that it works out the way you want it to work out, basically. Now, the next topic then we have is sequences and series. And sequences and series can kind of be divided into two broad sections. It's all got to do with patterns and looking at what's happening. Uh, so you could have a sequence of, of numbers or you could have pictures like matchsticks growing or or um, tiles where there's tiles being added every time. So what I call these is there's kind of formal questions which involve the formulae and that would tend to be to do with numbers, a sequence of numbers. And you would just apply a formula to that. So make sure you know the formula. There are two different types of sequences. There's arithmetic and then there's geometric and there's different formula for each. And they're in your formula tables book. But just make sure that you practice a few of those and you know which formula to apply when. The other type of questions that come up are the ones I mentioned there where they involve a picture and that can be a bit more challenging. These are very like logic puzzles where you're given a picture, you're given a scenario where you maybe have a pattern and then there's tiles being added every time and you have to be able to predict what's going to happen as the pattern continues on and then derive a kind of a, a formula to explain 
what's happening every time and then maybe use that formula to say, right, how many tiles are there going to be if we get to the 50th stage of this pattern? Right. These can be tough. They can absolutely be tough. And they are a lot of thinking on your feet. There's really no learning that you can do for this. And the best thing to do is just stay calm, work with the given information that you have and work in a systematic way and don't make assumptions. Right. Sometimes a pattern will look like it's maybe going up by two and then you find out later on, no, it's actually doubling or something like that or it's doing something else. So don't make assumptions based on the first one or two elements of a pattern. You really need to see three or four elements of a pattern before you can say for sure what's going on. So then a follow on from sequences in series is financial maths and financial maths is got to do with money, as the name would suggest, right? Investing and loans. They're the two main things. Financial maths uh, comes across as a very huge section on the course and it's actually not. If you look at the syllabus, it's represented by one sentence on the syllabus and that is the application of a geometric series. So what you're talking about here at Financial Maths is somebody wants to invest money, they're saving up to buy a car, they put €100 Euro into the credit union at the start of the month for three years and as the months go on it earns interest. How much do they have at the end of the three years? That's one type of question. Another type of question would be instead of being told you've got €100, Euro, Johnny wants to have 10000 at the end of three years, work backwards. How much should he invest every month? They're the two types of questions that come up involved with, with investment. The other type of question that can be asked then is instead of saving for the car, Johnny's going to take out a loan for the car. So he takes out €10,000 now. How much should he pay back over three years? The loan ones are quite easy to tackle because they involve a formula. So as soon as you see a, a question that involves a loan, straight away go to what's called your amortisation formula. Now, the formula is not pretty, but that's OK. You've got a calculator to help you along. Right. And you just figure out what the, what the, the, the things are. So you've got the loan amount, you've got the interest rate and you've got the time. Pop them all into the formula and it'll give you out the answer. So the loan questions are very, very manageable. The investment questions take a little bit more thinking out. The last thing you have to be able to do in that topic is to comfortably convert between an annual percentage rate to a monthly percentage rate. Just practice that a few times. Make sure you can do that. Within here as well, there is a proof or what we call a derivation. You have to be able to show where the amortisation formula comes from. And it was asked there in 2017. So make sure that you're comfortable with that. It'll be in your textbooks. It'll be up there in the marking scheme for 2017 as well. So make sure that you know how to do that and then be careful. So in 2018, there was no financial maths on paper one and the students were delighted with themselves. And then bang, it was on paper two. Right. So just be very, very prepared that nothing is set in stone in terms of what appears where. Then we have functions. So functions often appears as part B. Functions kind of incorporates a lot of algebra. Again, it's algebra in disguise and graphing techniques and functions can be applied to real world situations very, very easily. A function takes an input and it gives a unique output. So it could be something like costing. If, if a factory is, is working out the cost per unit, you put in how many units, you work out the cost. So because there is a practical element to functions and you can do graphs and they can ask you lots of stuff, it often will come up as one of the big questions in section B. So just really watch out for that. It's important that you're able to graph a function. It's more important as well that you're able to interpret that graph. Right. Don't just kind of blindly draw a graph of a function. 
then you have to be able to recognize a graph of a function. So if you're given a graph, you need to be able to say what that function is. And also watch out here because trigonometric functions, although they're trigonometry, they are also functions. And that's where trigonometry has come up on paper one, two years there. So they've put a trigonometric function on as the function question. So just be careful for that. Don't dismiss your trigonometry on paper one. Following on from functions, then we have differential calculus and differential calculus is a huge part of your course, right? It's a really biggie. And there'll often be a question on section A or section B or both on differential calculus. In section B, it can be come up as part of a functions question. So let's say again with the costing question, you could then be asked to find what would be the maximum cost. As soon as you hear the word maximum or minimum, you think differentiate, right? That's really, really important. Look out for those keywords as you go through an exam. Make sure that you know your rules for differentiating. They're in the tables, but you need to practice differentiating a lot. You need to try all different types of expressions, go through your textbooks and see, can you differentiate everything that's put in front of you, right? In order to be able to differentiate, you have to be very good at handling powers or indices. So make sure that you know your rules of indices as well, because they're vital for differentiating. Now, the other place the differentiation comes up is when we're talking about rates of change. So for rates of change, this could be like velocity and acceleration. So you could have a question to do with a car moving or a train moving or an object moving, or it can be to do with where there's something changing over time. So let's say water is pouring into a container. How would the volume be changing as time goes on? If the container is spherical, how is the radius changing as time goes on? That sort of thing, right? As soon as you hear the word rate of change or words, I should say, or phrase rate of change, that indicates to you to differentiate. All right, so that's another one. So max and min, rate of change, they all mean differentiate. The last place that an alarm bell for differentiation should go off in your head is if you see this phrase slope of a tangent and particularly on paper one. Slope of a tangent can be asked in paper two as well with coordinate geometry. But if you're in paper one and you see slope of a tangent, that means to differentiate the function that's presented in front of you. Right. So watch out for those buzzwords. And when you're going through an exam, if you see those, highlight them, underline them, that's going to mean to differentiate. So differentiation can be can be related to a lot of real world questions. So that's why it's very popular then with the examiner on in the section B questions. OK, the last thing then that can come up on paper one is integration and integration is the exact reverse operation to differentiating and students can get a little bit muddled up between the two. So try to keep them separate, keep everything clear in your head. So when you're differentiating, you're going one way. When you're integrating, you're going the exact opposite way. Integration is a relatively small topic. There are only three main areas that you need to concentrate on. You need to know your rules for integrating and these are in your tables. So make sure that you practice a lot of different types of expressions as you go along. You use integration to find the area under a curve. Right. And watch out here because twice they've been asked to find the area using the trapezoidal rule, which is in the area and volume section. But it's come up there in paper one and then asked to integrate it and then compare the two answers because the trapezoidal rule only gives an approximation, whereas integration gives an exact value. And then the last place that integration comes up is to find the average value of a function. So again, if you're on paper one and you see the phrase average value, then highlight that and that tells you to integrate. There's a formula for it. It's not in your tables. You need to get it out of your textbooks and make sure that you learn that one off by heart. 
Okay, so that's all the topics, really, that can come up on paper one. There's a lot in it. There is a lot in it, for sure. The buzzwords that you're using, I'm just going, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's all like the mental files that I just put to the back of my head. Now I'm digging them out going, oh my God, I remember that so well. All the, fu- yeah. the functions and the formulas. and. Well, what's, what's really difficult for students is there is no choice. Yeah. You know, so if they go into the exam and... Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalised plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. They see a question, that a financial maths question, and they're not comfortable with financial maths. It's just tough cheese. You just have to do it, you know. So that is difficult for students. And do you think that when the students go in, they're looking at the paper, they're going, right, I know this, I know that. If they have some sort of theorem or they have whatever it is that they need, should they write that out so they have it then so they can go off and tackle a different question, mm. but then come back to it later on and go, right, I remember this from a week ago. We yeah. leave that there on a paper. Absolutely. I mean, everybody has different strategies for, for how to answer a paper. You know, I have some students who will just go in and just do everything that they're able to do straight away. And then they're thinking, right, now those marks are locked in. I've probably got 40% now. Now I can relax a bit more and go back and try the harder bits. Some people don't even look through the paper. They just start in question one. And that's where the time factor really becomes a problem because they start in question one and they're like a dog with a bone. They won't let it go. And then suddenly they've spent 20 minutes on that. And now they're on question two. And then by the time they get to the last question, which might have been very manageable, they've run out of time. So it really, really, the time is hugely important. But yes, absolutely, to go through. And if you see bits that you can do straight away, just do them. Yeah, hit them up straight away and and get them out of the way. The only place that that's not helpful is with one of those sequential things, because sometimes these questions involve an awful lot of reading. They're in a context and we might have a whole paragraph of text. And then the first part might be relatively easy. But then if you come back to it later on, you may have to get your head back into that story again, get back into the scenario. What exactly are they asking me here again? So sometimes for those questions, it is easier to just stay with them while you do them all in one go. Really. And would you have any final pieces of advice for anybody that's sitting the maths exam? 
Absolutely right. So the most important thing, students often ask, how do I study maths? And it is a funny thing because they don't really know. There is very, very little learning off by heart for maths. Maths is pure practice. There is no magic solution. There is no magic wand. I wish I did. I'd be incredibly wealthy if I did. But there is no magic wand for doing maths. So it is just practice, right? But that doesn't really help a student. So the best thing for students, I liken it to to learning the piano, right? In order to learn the piano, you have to practice, practice constantly. But you don't just start by trying to play uh, like Beethoven, right? You start with chopsticks. So you start with something small, you perfect that, you go on to the next and then you gradually build up. So for a student now with a few weeks to go, what I would say to them is start with a small topic, start with something like complex numbers, which is manageable. Go through that get themselves comfortable with all the different things that are required to solve a question, then start to go through the questions. And then once they're comfortable with complex numbers, now I'm not saying spend weeks on it because it's only a small part of the course, but over a couple of days, then move on to another topic. But the really important thing to do is to not then say, okay, complex numbers is done now and put it away. Right? What they have to do is move on to the next topic, say sequences and series, and then periodically go back and try another complex numbers question. Once they've got sequences and series tackled, pick up a new topic, but then every so often go back and do a complex numbers and sequences and series. And eventually they should get to the point where they can sit down and try a full paper from start to end. And that really is the end game. You know, I love that quote. Desmond Tutu has a quote of how to eat an elephant, right? How do you eat an elephant? And it's one bite at a time. And that really is a good thing for for Leaving Cert students, right? Not only for maths. The biggest thing with Leaving Cert students is they become totally overwhelmed and we do not want that. That's the worst thing that can happen. So they have to be able to sit back and go, okay, I don't have to learn all of my maths paper one this weekend. I just have to know how to do complex numbers and then I need to know how to do financial maths and then I need to know and it is bit by bit by bit and as they gain confidence in parts, then they build it up. Yeah. Versus obviously where we are now, which is a few weeks out from the Leaving Cert, how do you recommend students kind of revise maybe the the night before the exam? The night before the exam is a tough one because students think you can cram and I, I really hate to say it, you can't cram maths. You just can't. Right. You can cram your proofs. Absolutely. Right. And I'd be a fool if I thought they don't, because to be honest, I did as well. Right. So you're going to cram your proofs. You're going to cram those little those learning off by heart bits. But with maths, there is very, very little to learn off by heart. And you're not going to start to learn off an entire bunch of skills the night before. Maths has to be done over time. They have to build up over time and they still have loads of time right we're weeks out from the exam there's still loads of time to practice 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 the night before it is yet to go back over look at nearly even look at the syllabus or flick through the exam papers to refresh yourself of what comes up on paper one what's going to be asked in each question what type of thing is going to be asked in each question look through the papers can I do that yes I can yes I can yes I can there are definitely going to be questions that they will have never seen before, right? And that is something that we're seeing with this maths course is that they are faced with a question and they do have to think on their feet. So that's where the skills come in, right? It's not like I, I teach other subjects as well. I teach physics and applied maths and it and those are a lot more predictable, let's say. I get in trouble for saying things like that now, right? But they are more predictable and they can they they can kind of look oh yeah that that type of question comes up right and they can kind of perfect a question you just can't do that in maths right they just have to have the skills going in so it's not a night before cram scenario but it, it but the, there is there is uh, absolutely a lot that they can practice coming up in the weeks before the exam 
And that was Louise Boylan from the Institute of Education to speak about Matt's Paper 1 Higher Level. Coming up next, we'll be chatting to Gene Kelly, who'll be tackling the O-Level paper for our listeners. FM 104's Leaving Cert Survival Guide with the Institute of Education. With only the info that you want to hear to help you ace your Leaving Cert. We are joined in studio now to discuss Matt's Paper 1 Ordinary Level with Gene Kelly from the Institute of Education. So what can students expect uh, in terms of topics on the Ordinary Level Maths Leaving Cert syllabus on Paper 1? On Paper 1 you've got algebra, complex numbers, calculus, uh, functions and graphs, numbers and the number systems, number patterns and financial maths. And in terms of the layout or the structure of the paper, what can students expect to see? Both papers are constructed the same way. Uh, paper one, they've got six short questions and they're 25 marks each. And then it depends. Some years there's three long questions, some years there's two, maybe there's four. We haven't really been told exactly how many long questions you get. But um, in terms of short and long, they're split equally. So you've got 150 marks going for the short questions and 150 marks going for the long questions. Paper two is exactly the same. It's laid out the same. And in terms of timing, how would you advise students to go about that on the day in terms of making sure that they maximise their timing? and Absolutely. Um, you generally, if it's a 25 mark question, which is a short question, it's uh, no longer than 12 and a half minutes. And then if you get a longer question that's worth 50 marks, so that's double the marks, you just double the time so it's 25 minutes and some of the longer questions can be 75 marks so it's treble the time so it's 37 and a half minutes sometimes you can get questions that are worth like 40 marks so you know you just have to judge your time really but the general rule of thumb is every 25 marks is 12 and a half minutes and would you recommend they be quite strict with their timing absolutely yeah especially on paper two actually because um, paper two is a lot longer there's a lot more formula to use and you'd be looking up the log tables a lot yeah how would you recommend students go about approaching their study only a few weeks out from the exam? In terms of their study, like there's five weeks left. So um, I'd probably do about three topics a week if I could. Generally, I'd go with the at this late stage, I'd stick with the exam papers. Um, there's no point in looking up books and things like that anymore. Uh, just do maybe two long questions or maybe do two, four short questions. It depends what they're going for. Like if they're going for an 01 or an 02, a lot of business courses are looking for 02s now. So if they're going for an 01 or 02, I'd probably spend about 50 minutes a day. I know that sounds like a lot, but when you get stuck into the exam papers, you're going to need to look up solutions and try the questions as well. So two long questions or maybe four short questions every day. And that includes the weekends as well. So you just recommend like practice makes perfect. Just Absolutely. practice all of the questions, go through the exam Non-stop. papers. Non-stop. Yeah, exam papers, exam papers at this late stage. For paper one, I would 100% go through rates of change in calculus a lot because I think there's going to be a long question on it. Mix it in with functions and graphs. Know how to use your calculator to get the points for your tables for functions and graphs because a lot of the time they'll have the format of the graph actually plotted out for you so you won't have to label anything. You just have to plot the dots, plot the points and join them together. Um, and everything is more or less connected now. So when the topics come together, like if you were to learn financial maths, You'd never know you could get a little bit of like algebra stuck in there or calculus stuck in there. And um, they all kind of come together in one question now. So you can't really predict it that much. But um, I would definitely go over like simultaneous equations in algebra um, quadratics, know how to factorize a quadratic equation, because in almost every question you're going to get asked that even on paper two. Um, and in terms of paper one, there's always a short question on complex numbers. There's always a short question on algebra. This year, I think there's going to be a short question and maybe even a long question on financial maths. 
Um, I would definitely go over income tax and compound interest, um, rates of change, especially currency exchange now. Because of Brexit, they might, like it's a topical issue, so they might stick on a little bit of exchange rates there. Last year, there was a, a long question and a short question on number patterns. I don't know, will they stick to the same kind of format? There'll definitely be a short question on it, um, 100%. But I don't know, will there be a long question? I'm actually putting my money on a long question on complex numbers for the 2011. When they first brought in the new paper one, there was a long question on complex numbers. But ever since, there's only been a short question. It's a very short topic, but it can overlap with a lot of stuff that they're going to use when they go into college. So maybe they will put a long question on it this year. In terms of actually approaching the exam on the day, what way should students go about it? Don't panic. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Just keep the head down for the next five weeks. When you get in there, a lot of students like to take like little rescue remedy or whatever just rub it in under the tongue yeah yeah. (laughs) guilty as charged but um, get good sleep maybe for the next five weeks take some vitamin C take some you know stave away all the coughs and the colds and stuff get some good sleep and make sure that maybe some omega 3 omega 6 oils into you get some fish liver oils in terms of approaching the paper make sure you have your mat set because you're going to be drawing graphs Make sure that you have your calculator and when, there's a lot of graphs on it. So you're going to need your calculator, especially a Casio calculator, because it's capable of making out the tables for the students instead of them having to manually do it themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you're in there, get your timing right. Like you could be in there and do, let's say there's nine questions. You might be on the eighth question and have five minutes left to do the ninth one. So get your timing down. As I said, if you can do the question in 12 and a half minutes, if it's a short question, try and actually physically work it out in 10 minutes. So you have two and a half to kind of look over the paper, look over the question. Maybe there's stuff there that you've like left out that you said you were going to go back to. So at least you have time to go back over it and read the paper again. Underline keywords and make sure that you're actually answering the question that's being asked. Just don't panic, <laughs> I think is the best advice I can give you. Like everything that's there that it's going to be asked that's on the paper. The fr- coming from a teacher it's probably a really bad thing to say but don't think too much outside the box because it's literally all there in the paper in black and white um, and plus it's ordinary level and they're really going to try and throw marks at you they're not they're, they're not trying to fail you they're trying to pass you That was Jean Kelly with Ordinary Level Maths Paper 1 Jean will be back with us next week where she'll be giving her predictions on Maths Paper 2 so make sure to tune in for that Dublin's hit music station FM 104 We are joined in studio once more by Dr Coleman Nocter from St Patrick's Mental Health Services Today Coleman is here to speak to us about managing expectations during this particularly stressful time of year How important can a healthy routine be in the run up to the leaving cert so like you mentioned it before sleep food exercise that kind of thing any sort of structure helps us feel contained because I remember saying to you that anxiety is a fear of the unknown so anything that's routine and reliable and similar and familiar makes us feel safe in that structure that isn't going to change or we stick to a timetable whatever it might be and it, it reassures us a little bit that we're covering all the bases from that point of view one of the great tips I heard over the years was um, if you highlight your study your the hierarchy of subjects from one to seven one being your favorite and seven being your least favorite and you should study in a structured way that does say night one is one and seven night two is six and two and night three is five and three whatever it is and then on that spare one you do that and one that you feel you need to do more of what it does is that that structure reassures you that you're covering everything so sometimes we have a high level of anxiety about honours maths so we're studying that all the time much to the sacrifice of the history and geography and these sorts of things and we find closer to the time gosh I never really looked at that or I didn't give that enough time these things all these kind of balanced equilibriums and structures allow us 
to reassure ourselves that through the structure we're covering all the bases. What I would say to you is don't be afraid to come away from the structure. So if you say, I'm going to do three hours this day and four hours this day and six hours this day, if you wake and you're feeling fluey or you're feeling down or you're feeling upset or you feel not engaged for it, go off the track, ditch the structure for that day, watch some Netflix, go for a walk, meet your pals, do that instead and come back to it when the timing is right and when you're feeling more up for it. And there's nothing worse than reading a paragraph 17 times and realising none of it's going in because your mind frame or your mindset or the lens that you're approaching it isn't right. It's just enhancing your fear of failure, your feeling that you're not able to do it. It's likely to trigger some catastrophic thoughts of, oh my God, I'm useless, I'm worthless, I'm never going to pass, this is a disaster. Rather, a good run is better than a bad stand in that way by just taking a break, doing something else and coming back to it when your brain and your mind is more ready for it. Yeah, it's kind of like knowing when to let the stubbornness of I need to do this go. Yeah, and again, structure is useful, but it needs to be flexible to be able to respond and react to you. And again, in response and reaction, I would say to anybody, you can't really control the fact that the leaving cert is happening. You can only control your response and reaction to it. So always pay attention to the variables that are within your control rather than trying to concentrate on the ones that aren't. And rather than thinking about what could come up and what could go wrong, what the marker might be feeling the day they have your paper, all those sorts of things, reassure yourself of the stuff that's good. You know, we've two approaches to life. We can look at a jigsaw half done and go, oh my God, I have all this to do and look at the empty bits. Or you can look at it and go, that is really coming together and I like the way that looks. And it's kind of an extension of that half full, half empty glass. I think in terms of the way in which we see the problem. Oftentimes the problem isn't the problem, the way we see it is the problem. And if you ask yourself, am I approaching this in the right way? Is my application to this task realistic? And am I, am I trying to keep balance and equilibrium and all of that? And when you ask yourself that and find yourself a- answering yes to those questions, then the task automatically becomes far less taunting and much, much easier. And what should a student do if they feel that they're being put under a lot of stress by someone in particular? Like, let's say, for example, a parent or a teacher or a relative? Yeah, I mean, that's really difficult to manage the expectation of other people. I would say to you that this is your, if it is a rite of passage, it's a rite of passage into adulthood. In some respects, this is your last act. As And, and if we look at young people in that age group, we can see them as old children or young adults. And you really need to embrace the young adulthood of it. Um, this is the first application of your decision making that's absolutely about you. The one thing parents can't do is make you study or make you learn. They can lock you in the room, they can lock you with the book, but they can't make you learn. And it's one of the things that parents over the course of history have never realised that 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 doesn't happen. But um, this is something that you control, you have, and feel empowered by that. Feel that this is something you can do. To manage other people's expectations isn't about a fear of failure. And sometimes that's what we do. We actually don't try because we think the expectations of other people are, are, are too high. And I would see this a lot, especially in young boys, where there's a kind of a sense of, if I don't try and I don't do well, well, then people will say, you know, you could have done anything, but you just didn't try. So they don't question my ability, they question my application. Whereas if I try really hard and burst myself and still don't do as well as other people wanted me to do or expected me to do, then I unveil myself as a failure in some respects. So to some people, it's better not to try at all than to try and fail. And that's an approach that, yes, it may indeed manage the expectations of other people in your life, but it's not doing you the best or giving you the optimal opportunity to do what it is you want to do with the rest of your life. And from that point of view, I would say to you, 
just ignore the expectations of others this is your battle with you this is your task of course you'll be asked by people how you did and all those sorts of things at the end of the day the only the most important relationship you have in your life is the relationship you have with yourself and you really need to in this period invest in that and remember the good things about you, your qualities as a person, your humanness, your thoughtfulness, your kindness, your loyalty, all these things count way more in the course of life than your ability to remember things. And you need to keep some perspective in that. And although people may be putting you under pressure, and I've seen this, you know, I've said to parents before, you know, you need to give this, this kid needs support. And parents would say, okay, well, I'll get them grinds. And you're kind of saying, that's not the support yes. you need. You need an arm around the shoulder. You emotional need support. Emotional support, nurturance and care. Um, and although if you're maybe not getting that, you need to be giving it more to yourself than relying on other people. But manage the expectations of others by making it about you and making it about your performance against yourself in some respects and trying to optimise that by trying as best you can. The other thing I'd say is expectation is an important part of this because expectation minus reality equals happiness. Uh, and that mean to bring in maths into people who are doing listening to a leaving cert pod but from the point of view if your expectations are really high and your reality is not quite that then you're more likely to become disappointed and let down and feeling sad so we can't change reality but we can manage our expectations failure is not a, a destination it's a spectrum of of success and failure so you always have a spectrum of opportunities so if, if i optimize my results i'll get this but if I don't do quite as well, I have this and have a menu of options open to you. It's always more healthy to do that than saying I need X amount of points in order to for this to have worked. So there's just not one particular yeah, I mean, outcome. If, if you're lining up, OK, 450 is the points that I need, then 445 is a failure in your eyes. And okay. that's ridiculous. It's it, the spectrum and it's a degree of success and a degree of lack of success, I guess, if you want to put it that way, that you're going to achieve and you have to be open to a, a multitude of outcomes. And if I if I shoot and score everything that I get, these options will be open to me. If I don't and I do a little bit less than that, these options are open to me. But it should always be about opportunities and possibilities as opposed to having kind of linear black and white destinations of anything above nine is a success. Um, that means anything below nine is a failure and that's absolutely not true that's not how life works so you need to break it into north of four north of seven north of eight and ultimately if nine happened that would be great can you go through some of the ways that students can go about regulating their stress levels and watching their mental health? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's about self-attuning. So you're kind of watching how those those markers are going for you. So like I said before, the appetite, the sleep, those sorts of things, they'll always be the indicators of behaviour. So you'll see that more obviously and people around you will spot that you're not sleeping while you're more irritable, etc. But the second part of ourselves is our, how we think about something. So if your thinking is becoming overly negative, so you're starting to go, I'm never going to be able to do this. This is not good. I, I should be doing better, that sort of stuff. They're kind of indications that that stability is slipping. And then the third dimension to ourselves is our emotions. So if you're feeling lost or feeling a bit lonely about this or feeling overwhelmed or feeling disconnected from a sense of reality or whatever it might be um, then those are the things that you need to tune into and do something about and it's always best to avert the crisis rather than wait till it gets to crisis point so you just need to tune into yourself and that's where the walks and the breaks allow you a moment to kind of sit and say how am I doing and if we think about it we do three things I think I feel I do so what am I doing what am I feeling and what am I thinking and when you ask yourself those questions just make sure they're in balance I would say to you rate everything out of ten and if it's between four to seven, you're okay. Anything that's one, two, three, or eight, nine, ten is a problem. So that person who's taking the biology book to the toilet because they don't want to lose three minutes study time, 
that's eight, nine, ten. It's too you're too uh, invested in it, and it's too important. It's lost context. It's lost perspective. If you're thinking, oh my God, English paper one tomorrow, I better pull out that book then you're perhaps one, two and three. So always be safe in the middle. That's where our mental health is always. Moderation is the key in everything. So if you're marking yourself in thinking, feeling and doing in four to seven, you're doing okay. If you're up above that, bring it down. If you're below it, pump it up. Dr. Colman Nocter from St. Patrick's Mental Health Services. Thank you so much for coming in. You're welcome. And that's all we've time for on this week's podcast. Thanks a million for listening in. And remember to subscribe and rate the show if you've got some good info from our teachers this week. If there's anything in particular you'd like covered on the show, whether it's a certain subject or even things like how to get a good sleep or how to study most effectively, get in touch with your idea on WhatsApp at 87 FM 104's Leaving Cert Survival Guide with the Institute of Education. With only the info that you want to hear to help you ace your Leaving Cert. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com listen. Shopify.com listen.